Hi everyone, Chris here with a little introduction before we start the show. Will was out of town this week, so we have a very special guest host uh, returning for the fourth time, I believe, Alan Prasniak. Um, I'm introducing the show before we start because it's a little different in format this week. You're going to hear a couple of breaks in the show. Uh, Alan and I just took breaks in between recording sessions, so about every half hour, 45 minutes, uh, you'll hear a little touch of music. The episode is not over. Keep listening. Uh, we just broke it up into chapters this time. Um, one other thing to keep in mind is at the end of the episode, we talk about uncut gems and we jump right into spoilers. So Alan asked that I put in a little spoiler warning at the beginning for anybody that's interested in seeing the movie. Uh, Will will be back next week. Enjoy the show. How does it come about? They're the truck. Their wife is a truck. Oh in my the, god! That's a, their the, wife. In the as third in both song, of them. it's the songs get crazier and crazier. It goes on. Yeah, and the, yeah. the third song, all of a sudden, their, their truck is their wife <laughs> and is crying when they get home because it's pregnant. Oh my god! <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then it. Yeah, gives birth on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does, do they say what type of truck it is? Is it like a garbage truck or a no, semi they have to, truck? They have to or? cram like ba- more basic information right, into right. about three verses like, <laughs> or three lines of song. Oh. oh, okay. Well, Alan's here. No Will this week. Yeah. He, he's going to be mad that I recorded without him, I think. And he's going to listen to this. Will, I'm coming for you, baby. <laughs> this, is, this, is this a Lewis and Green this time? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the, the other world. Bizarre. Upside the, down world. The upside down world. <laughs> yeah. What's it called in Stranger Things? That's the upside down. Yeah, the upside yeah. down. The inside out. Yeah. I'm excited to see how I do uh, as, a co- yeah. as a co-host. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's true. You've been upgraded from merely a, what, three-time guest to I'm a I'm pretending this is a tryout. Yeah, so. okay. All right. Well, Will, he's coming for your spot. Yeah, baby. I've been watching Cheer on Netflix, and there's always people coming for spots yep. on that show. And I'm notoriously good at tryouts oh, from, yeah. you know, I played baseball in high school and nothing since. So, <laughs> Does that I'm imply ready. you choke in competition, though? Uh, no, I'm actually a horrible test taker. <laughs> Even when Nina asked me a question, like, what's your favorite, or like, uh, like, what's your favorite thing about our relationship? I'm just like, duh. Oh, dude. (laughs) Those kind of questions are the worst. If there's emotion involved and you're expected to have like a solid answer. Yeah. Well, she comes from a family of like survey takers. Like, they're always asking like people's baseline emotions. Like, like, uh, what's your favorite thing about Thanksgiving or like, like how like what are you excited for in the new year there's like always taking the pulse of the family which i think is really healthy i was gonna say and raises like really emotionally intelligent people yeah um but i i was just like flatline whenever i'm asked something like that oh dude i can't even ask uh answer questions about favorite things yeah that's it I get like just flooded with with information in my own like i get so overwhelmed yeah yeah like like i think about favorite color and I, you know, I don't know, I guess like magenta, but then I'm like, which one? But then I'll start to analyze. I'm like, well, 
what what determines a color or like <laughs> right. how specific can we get or like then the questions start rolling in yes and we're like favorite in what context or in what situation or yeah exactly well, are we are we decorating are we painting are we that's right yeah yeah there's always uh, more information to be had I, I i get really defensive about it like my head immediately when we brought this up i was thinking it's not very adult to have like favorite things or yeah, particular like, things it's it ignores too much and i think like experience as you grow experience should be broader your your, your worldview should be broad enough so that um you don't have favorites you have associations right and like or, or good things can come to mind but i'm not like oh that was my favorite experience ever yeah yeah it, it, they're like basically like experience starts to become categorized into like types of experiences which then yeah exactly you just have i just have file cabinets even then like 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 happiest memory might be a category but i don't know if i have one i'll just have like a bunch of files in my like but no superlatives really right just yeah just happy memories not happiest memory yes exactly i yeah i feel also like even right now i can't think of a happy memory that's that's how bad that's how paralyzing it is no, I, I, this actually came up pretty recently on one of these. I don't remember what Will and I were talking about, but it was like, oh, I don't know. Oh, fuck, this is bad radio. But uh, but uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, not you. <laughs> I thought you told me to be silent. I'm going to have to lose this whole part. <laughs> anyway, we should just move on because I'm never going to remember it. One. And we're back. <laughs> just fucked up the cut. I literally leaned my head away from the mic for like ten seconds. I, I thought it was some kind of like formal cut thing. Oh uh, no, no, we're just getting we're just getting warmed up. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I I have a really hard time uh, recording on an off day. To be honest with you, yeah, because Will and I have if gotten you're not up- prepared for it. Well, I don't even really prepare for it, but Will and I have like a pretty regular schedule. Yeah. And so we kind of just recorded, you know what I mean? I see. So and you, and I don't have like a whole breadth of experience yet. I haven't you gotta collected fill the, enough. You got to fill the reservoir again. Yeah. And I've mostly just been working, so I don't have like I don't have a ton on my mind other than really quotidian shit. Yeah, so what's been going on with me? I uh I'm moving, which is a, a pain oh, in the okay. ass. Um uh, not for the, not for the reason I'm moving, I'm right. moving in with Nina, uh, which is super exciting, but, um, just moving in general. Like I, even when you, even when you think of yourself as a minimalist, you realize you, you carry so much shit around that you will never ever like books. You'll never open again Yeah. or like little trinkets that like people give you that you want to hold on to them. And yeah, I just feel like so bad throwing them away, but you have you have to purge at some point. I don't know if you have enough time to do this because you're moving pretty soon. But one trick that I found out really works is if you have stuff you're on the fence about, like you know, there's obviously stuff you're willing to give away with no thought to it. But if you have anything you're on the fence about that you don't think you should keep, but you're like feeling too attached to or whatever, take it, put it all in a box, and close that box without labeling it. And then when it comes time to have to move that box or whatever, you find it again in a year. If you don't remember what's in there, don't open it. Get rid Just of it. Throw, yeah, I did that recently point. and it worked so well. Like yeah. I had a box sitting in this room for like a year. And then when we cleaned up in here for Thanksgiving, it's a huge box. I was like, I don't remember anything in this box. I guess it doesn't matter. And yeah. I set it free. And what are the odds that you're going to need something? Like, I only use five items. I know. Ever. Yeah. Yep. Like, toenail clippers, uh, 
I don't even have a hairbrush. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, now I'm just thinking of hygiene stuff. But uh, Well, there's that kind of stuff, but that's easily replaceable. Like Other than that, there's what? There's like your computer? Yeah. Uh, even that's shot to hell. What, like an Nintendo like Switch? Throwing that out the window or something. <laughs> yeah. Is your computer still bent in half? Oh, yeah. It was, oh, my God. Okay, so yeah, I got the computer and took it to a Mets game. And this drunk asshole, at the end of the game, the Mets won. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I like the Mets. I'm a Phillies fan, but like... Uh, this drunk asshole stood up, stood up on his chair in front of me, and I just like uh, stepped to the side to see the end of the game. And he's so drunk that he fell backwards. And okay, his lawyer's uh, quote unquote lawyer's brilliant uh, argument was, "Who brings a computer to a Mets game?" You, you know what? That is kind of a brilliant argument. I don't. I'm not saying that would hold up in court or whatever, okay, but he's okay, kind of like, got you dead to rights there a little bit. Hey, I'm a sports journalist. Then. <laughs> that's true. That's um, true. Or I could bring it wherever I want. Well, you know what? I take that back. It's fucking New York City. Like you're just coming from work. People have bags exactly. full of shit. Everywhere I had it with me, go. and it was it was a last minute thing. I yeah. was gonna, I was going to do something else or go to my studio. And um, wait, can I, I back you up for a second? Was there actually a lawyer involved, or is that just what this guy no, said? No, I got his information, and he gave me his. He was like drunk enough to give me his real information. Um, and uh, I was there with my friend Rebecca, who her brother also. She, he bought the tickets. He's also a lawyer, so yeah. he showed up, and he's like, "Okay, let's let's talk about this." <laughs> and I think that freaked him out. Um, but anyway, like I, yeah, I sent him a text. I was like, uh, "Hey, I got the." Um, appraisal for what it's going to cost to repair and it's like 450 bucks just for the shell and they did diagnostics and nothing was wrong inside and the guy at the max store even was like he looked at it and when the diagnostic was like being like 100 okay he was like that's impressive uh, by the way for the listener i've seen this computer it's fully u-shaped yeah it's like if if the two ends are touching the table the middle is probably uh like half an inch to three quarters of an inch off the table off the table and it's one of the thin style macbook like airs and this was five years ago yeah. so it's still that's it's, insane it's going strong um because i'm such a fucking lazy piece of shit that i never pressed the guy because his again quote lawyer called um and then rebecca's brother was like did he call you mr prasniak when he called i was like no and he was like uh he's not a lawyer and tell him that's a felony to impersonate one whoa um but then again, it just fell off, and I'm like the least confrontational person ever. Or I just like was like, Ugh. well, what are you really going to do short of getting the law? Just involved? waste my time yeah, for can't. trying to deal with this. Right. Um, I told him I was going to call the police, and that freaked him out. And they were like, "We'll give you two hundred bucks." Oh, like, jeez, they're really like, haggling. That's, you. Yeah, that's why I was like, they were like from Nyack, these like like hicks from like upstate. It just wasn't worth my time yeah. if the computer worked. So. Uh, but so that's one of your prized possessions that yeah, apparently my bed, has a my computer. <laughs> it's kind of like a sculpture or something at this point. Um, I don't know. Are you? You're not sentimental about objects, though, are you? No, no. Neither of us are really. I feel, or we're materialists in the way that, like, we want nice things. Yeah. Not a. We don't need a lot of things, but if, like, we're look, we're like shopping for a coffee table, and we're like, let's let's go to Knoll. Nina works at Knoll. Right. Let's get like a well designed coffee table. Yeah, yeah. And just you know, fork the fork over the cash for like a thing we'll have forever. That's really yeah. That's a good way to be. I guess I'm just wondering about like what about you know not things of high value or even practical value, but that like if somebody gave you something, like if your mom oh. gave you a gift you didn't even want. 
Would um, you be able to get rid of it without reservation? I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like once in a while, she'll knock it out of the park. Like if it's a really nice kitchen item. Uh, yeah. But again, like something without utility. Like let's say somebody sends you a card oh, and I they write away. a nice note on it or something. I throw away cards. You throw away cards? Yeah. Oh, man. Is yeah, that, I am so not is like that. Is that psychopath? No, 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 no. Oh, oh. I think that's incredibly healthy. But for me, it's like along the lines of Nina's family asking her uh, survey questions, you yeah. know, where I I recognize completely that that's healthy, but it's that's paralyzing for me. Mm. If somebody sends me, an, it could even just be like, you know, like my grandparents don't send me like handmade notes. They buy something at the, you know, at the Rite Aid yeah. in aisle five and they write like, love you merry christmas in it and i'm like oh i can't get rid of it so do you have a drawer around here somewhere I, in, in my cars? room i have a fireproof box i'm not oh my god that is a lock box that is full of like every piece of ephemera i've ever received i have Damn. some at my studio too because i've used it for paintings and stuff but down to, dude but it's down, not good down well, to the envelopes and stuff i can't get rid of them but yeah i mean if you're if it's later in life and you find that thing it, it'll probably be really nice just like sift through it but like I'm never going to find that. Like I've never <laughs> opened the box. I don't look through it occasionally and like and like well up with memories. I just yeah. feel like I kind of did that the last time I moved. I found like a, a yeah, my box of ephemera and um you know, I poured over it and it was really fun, but again, as I was pouring over it, the things were going right into a trash bag. <laughs> so I was like saying goodbye to stuff, yeah, which I, yeah. again, like I'm not there's nostalgia there, but I'm not sent it's nostalgia, not sentiment, or something like that. Right, right. If, that may, if there's a differentiation. Well, um, I liked the memories, but I'd, I was just like, well, that's the healthy thing about it is like prizing the memories and not the stuff. Yeah. Because especially if you don't care, like that's the whole idea behind the mystery box and just getting rid of it is if if you can't even remember what it is, yeah. then you don't care about it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how nostalgic it would make you on site. Yeah. If you know. If you don't remember the memory, if it's not, you know, psychically significant, then whatever. You're like, every every card I throw away that my grandma gave to me takes a year off her life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like... what it feels like. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a card in my closet for every cigarette I ever smoked. <laughs> <laughs> you write a letter to yourself. Every, you're like, this is the last one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the books thing. Getting rid of books is pretty crazy to me. That's been actually a cool experience. Uh, experience because i've i'm not i haven't been taking them to goodwill's like too far away or they're just so heavy that i don't want to schlep them but um so instead i've just been putting them right outside the entrance to our apartment building and it's kind of cool because every day i can take a huge load down there yeah and i mean i'm keeping my favorites but there's just there were so many shitty paperbacks i knew i'd never ever open again right um or they were literally falling apart and uh I just feel bad about land, like contributing to landfill stuff. Right. Um, but what's cool is that after I put them out, I'll get home at night and I'll see like the ransacked stack, like stack and uh, like the stragglers are always like really funny. Yeah. Like, there's, I put out like maybe like 30 books yesterday and I got back and the only one left was a book of interviews with Ridley, uh, Ridley Scott. <laughs> wow. That's actually a pretty good book too. I'm surprised. And I, it was a good read. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was like, hmm, 
Nobody likes the Alien or Blade Runner. Or... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, he's one of my favorite directors. But oh wow, uh, yeah, man, your book cache must be such a good one. Because usually when I encounter them around here, they're all like self help books or just like grocery store aisle like you know novels. They're awful. I rarely yeah. encounter a stack that's like got anything in it. It could, yeah. It it's pretty eclectic. I think people would either not care not consider like the the personality makeup of whoever left them behind or if they they saw all of them be like who is this person yeah yeah like, i you know there's a lot of sci-fi but then like like art yeah like art theory i like imagining that uh today that person came by and took all 29 and only left the ridley stop <laughs> they were like i really like this person but alien sucks yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just this weird version of me missing one chunk of my personality <laughs> yeah it looks like, exactly like you but there's only one lens in their eyeglass <laughs> Oh, so they're a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, the homeless version of you. <laughs> and it, that me liking Ridley Scott is the only thing keeping my personality in form. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. You'll just age. burst into atoms. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for uh like yeah, for Blade Runner, I would be completely unhinged. The day Ridley Scott dies, you just turn into dust like in game <laughs> style. <laughs> One with the force. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you form a dyad with Ridley, Ridley Scott. <laughs> I want to. I'll distance myself a little bit because in his older age, he's made some comments about like, like uh, when he made that Moses movie. Oh, I never saw that. Like, if, oh, recently, right? Yeah. Was, was it with Russell Crowe? I think it was. No, Christian that was Bale. the Noah movie, right? With Christian Bale, and he get like again, like I mean, whitewashing is like insane. Like so, like it's just so symptomatic. But he's like this old guy with like. You know, like the old, the old school dudes with no filter. He was like, yes. He's like, I know. He was like, no studio is going to give me a hundred million dollars to for to film a movie with Muhammad, whatever. Oh, jeez. And you're like, dude, that oh, is. Yeah, Terry Gilliam just did an interview. Did you see Good this? God, yeah, he no. was getting himself into big trouble. Yeah, because just saying, like, um, well, I don't know impolitic things about Me Too and like trashing like female producers that he'd worked with and Jesus. stuff. You know, on one hand, it's like, these guys are like 70-whatever years old. Just don't ask them questions like this. Yeah, they're You know pe- what I mean? Who cares what they say, what they Ex- think? Exactly. They're obviously going to say something that is going to offend people. Yeah. They're kind of not even trying to. They're just old men that were born during World War II. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? who cares what Ridley Scott thinks about whatever? Yeah. You know? It would be, yeah, it would be like trying to engage my grandpa politically. Right, right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why people. He's like, he's like, I eventually accepted my gay son. I've done my part for the entire country. Yeah, for all of humanity. I'm like, yeah, like, good on you, grandpa. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Because my uncle was uh, uh, disowned for a little while and they eventually came around. For a long time? Um, I don't know exactly how long, but it, yeah, it happened. Wow. Um, but, grandparents you know i mean if you're okay talking about it was he out like when he was young or did he come out later i don't that timeline i don't know i mean um my like i'm also bad at asking my family anything about any family history well yeah (laughs) um it sounds like you might just not want to get involved it it was i'm gonna guess like about the time anybody usually comes out let me like late high school or yeah, I mean, that's pretty crazy for an older generation. I don't know. I think we take it for granted now that 
you know, as a teenager, you'd be more or less okay. But I guess even when we were coming up, like in the early 2000s... There was still a taboo. There was definitely still a taboo, yeah. yeah. Uh, but even the way my mom explained it, she was like... One day we were talking about me being like the last... One of the last Prasniaks, like to, to pass on the name. Even that is like not super progressive because I'm like, who, like why would my kid take Prasniak? Why would right. I get married or, you know, choose to have kids? Or It was just like an assumption in place. Yeah. And she was like, because, you know, your Uncle David will never have kids. Right. And I, I, maybe I was probably in middle school and she was like, do you know why? And I was like, no. She was like, you know, Will and Grace. <laughs> That's how she explained it. <laughs> this is it. the most 90s way <laughs> yeah, to explain yeah. it. <laughs> and she, she didn't have to, I was like, say no more. Oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. She's like, have you ever heard of Tim Curry? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I love Legend. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, another Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, um, man, I'm I'm really a space case tonight. I feel like I'm not. Uh... It's okay. I I mean, I'm like, I was in my studio today, so I was all internal. You didn't I talk actually, to this, anybody this whole week. Like, yeah, with the moving stuff, I'm just up in my head. That's kind of nice, though. I don't know the studio headspace. I always say it on the show, but like, I kind of like doing episodes where I didn't talk to anybody all day, yeah. especially if it's a studio day. Yeah. Cause that kind of internal logic is a good thinking space right now. I'm, yeah. on, I'm just on the trajectory of like doing what I was told all day or, you know, <laughs> focusing on really small things, but like not, I don't know. I didn't have any, um, yeah. You're like, Oh, oh now I want to talk about the system. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, it's like, I, do you want to talk about like inch and five eighth screws versus yeah. like two and a half and like what type of drywall they got? Like, no, that, like that's kind of, yeah, exactly. Nobody does. <laughs> uh, well, I'm in a lucky enough position to, to, uh, I work for another artist and we do these big projects, which requires me to leave town completely yeah. for stretches at a time and then come back and, uh, coast more or less. And, work in my work on my own paintings full time um which is really you know it's really nice yeah I'm not complaining it, ta- it takes a level of organization in terms of budgeting that i've learned to be better at um but what is measurable is uh the effect of practice and i feel like that that's become really important is is when i am in town the studio becomes a full-time job yeah and it's and it is it is very very distinctive what paintings were one-offs and what were at the end of like a long stretch of a lot of work right just because of the either the quality of like the like the materiality of it or the like the handling becomes like way more confident after like a stretch of a couple months yes definitely yeah there's just Um, that thrust of like energy uh will and i were talking about it because he just moved studios so he went through a long period where like he wasn't working at all because you don't really this is probably the same with you and the projects that you work on like you don't want to do anything before you have to leave and if you yeah. do, it's kind of like a sputter just to keep yourself busy or something. Or it'll be a prep. Like, because in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to prep all these surfaces to get back and I'll just hit the ground running. And then you come. Ba- I come back from being in Miami for two months and I come back in my studio. I have all the stuff ready to go and I just sit there and stare yeah. because there's no way I'm prepared to just start painting. No. Like, it's, it, it, 
like there's just so much psychological preparation that also has to happen. Uh, oh, personally too, I find like the prep stuff, meaning like the stretching and the gessoing or just the organizing of the studio, like so vital That's, to that process. And it's actually the beginning of the work. Yes, you think is. of it as this thing that like is a hassle that's a interruption but for me like i wonder if even an assistant would ever even be good for me because the prep is part of the th- is part of the thought process right but you know you've seen this with um odili is the artist you work for i think we yeah. can say his name right sure yeah I, um i i think with odili like he learned over time to just use assistance as an extension of himself like you just get used to that process yeah. like it may, might fill the same like psychic gap that right now like gessoing a canvas would fill, you know. I'm at but it point... would take learning that. That yeah. would probably be like a years long process. I don't know. Yeah, you enter like a mind meld. They're yeah. like, I'm convinced that. I mean, I've worked for him for almost ten years now, or maybe ten. Yeah, ten years. Um, I, I'm convinced that, he, that he's now. Uh, we we basically take his like eight and a half by eleven drawings and. Uh, transcribe them onto huge walls for you know hard edge abstract painting um and i'm convinced that he now uses us as translational kind of mutators right because there's in some ways there's in some instances there's no way that the drawing could fit on the wall based on size or scale or you know architectural things that are getting getting in our ways and he's he's been like the last couple years he's just been like uh just figure it out or like in so many words like what do you think should happen yeah and so we've yeah we're, we've become this like conduit uh that uh he he trusts us to understand what should happen in sure. the space which is really exciting and it's and it's um it's kind of what keeps it an exciting job for me otherwise it would be really tedious but um having some agency in the process sure. is, is cool, also cool well there's the openness to making mistakes too like he's not yeah. very prescriptive at the end of a painting similarly to the beginning where like he's telling you on one hand, you know, make it work. Yeah. And then at the end, if something is a little off, if a shape is the wrong color or whatever, usually he lets it fly, which is nice. I mean, I don't think I would be able to do that. That would be my problem with assistance is I think I would feel I think I would feel like I had a destination in mind. Mm-hmm. And even though I'd want to let them go i would be a micromanager that's control. where it would be a problem for i think me. control issues start to bubble up yeah and yeah i think or maybe in my own studio I, I, what i mean is like the intimacy of that i'm trying to get to in, in the work um for me it's like every corner of the work like the way the gesso even like during the prep the way the gesso is like laid on like i i want that i want it to be like like cradled in my arms like yeah the whole the whole way yeah um, yeah uh, but that but obviously that's like a control issue <laughs> yeah definitely but but your work like projects that kind of intimacy you know what i mean mm-hmm. there's there's mm, it's very handmade art that almost sounds like a like a drag but it's not it's 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 i, I mean i like that because i i take the work with odili and then come back like i treat my or i like consider myself a foil right. and like we you know we when we talk about art we treat each other like that like we can argue healthily and uh i feel like me and you do the same thing too like yeah. we i feel like we we have such different approaches yeah definitely. But like a just mutual respect that yeah well and i mean there's so much in common anyway you know i don't yeah. know more and more i don't really i don't really gravitate towards any particular style of work 
Yeah. That's been a long time development for me, though. I don't know about you, but like looking at art has changed a lot for me in the last like 10 years or so. Where I used to just gravitate towards stylistic things that were similar to me or I felt like I wanted to chase or whatever. But I feel like I don't really look at it that way anymore. Yeah. Like I talked here not long ago about Matthew Wong's show. Do you know that artist? Mm-hmm. I That is not – I don't have any affinity with that work stylistically in my studio. But I like adored that show. Yeah. And those paintings. I, yeah. And I understand what you're saying. I, I feel like in – yeah, the last 10 years has – there's been a sea change, but I would even say in like the last year or so, I've like really like kind of considered a like a turnaround a corner for my my own like psychology and how I approach. I would say painting specifically because it's really like that, that's my world. I've I have trouble approaching other types of art. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I I can consider it, I can like it, but. Yeah, I think uh, I can read other kinds of art, but I don't have like a real intimate or like visceral connection with it like I do with painting. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just a painter. I think that's probably why you and I get along yeah. or why it's easy to work for somebody like Odili. Like being a painter is really a separate thing. Yeah. And it's sort of unfortunate that that conversation has gotten to be like divisive somehow. It's diminutive. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think non-painters think or cool painters would consider it diminutive. Yeah. And then at the same time, I don't want to project too much pride about it because I don't think it's any better than anything else. It's just what I like and I'm yeah, because it's with. also lame to be proud about. Yeah, it. no, it's, it's just it's just what I love to do, and I think I think the ter- the corner that I've turned is is actually more involved with labor. Um, what do you mean by that? Or practice, I guess that like to go back to that word. Yeah. Um, where I I don't necessarily care like what's going on in the like in the picture i care about like how like labor is allocated in the process and like if if it's like i think as like the older i get the more my pragmatism surfaces and i'm like is this uh or like an essentialism starts to come out or i'm like is this is this uh actually doing what you wanted to do um or is it or is it a like is I ever since Miami, I've been thinking of the word like synthesized yeah. version of like a lot of things. Um, they're just seem it, things down down there seem so artificial. Um, like the vibe of the city does the people. No, no, Miami's amazing. I've, I'm at the fairs. I'm yeah, sorry, oh, the, okay. the art fairs. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, they're just there's so much synthesis. Yeah, we've talked a lot about this, and I, I think for me, it's been a similar like path in my development where it's really political for me. Where like the the type of art that's marketable, like art fairs, are obviously like the quintessential example of that. But any more, most art that you're gonna see in a like a gallery or even a museum is all commercial art. It really feels like there's a split between like you know like in Marvel, there's the street level heroes, and then there's the Avengers. Like mm-hmm. I feel like there's a whole thing of painting going on that street level that i don't think shares very much with that other type of work and it does have to do with labor and like a handmade quality or something but it's not um just a point of clarification it's not like doesn't mean that it's like labor intensive or that has anything to do with technique really yeah that idea of like synthesizing i don't know well there's also an element of irony going on because the handmade stuff seems to get dumped on constantly as being pastiche but the, but the irony is that like the the blue chip like the blue chip work is just as pastiche. We're just like more familiar with the things that it comes from because you yeah. see it constantly. It, uh, it, it's it's this, or you'd have to go to maybe a, you'd have to go to a museum and like or like to see like more of the influences of like the 
hand, handmade is starting to become an annoying term, yeah, but it is. Um, but I think you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Um, you might have to go back a bit further in history to like find like those influences. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I think that's that's viewed as a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, from like the kind of the gatekeepers or like the more elite. Well, that um, yeah, that power that, structures that higher level of art. Um, not in terms of quality, but just in terms of marketability is like, um, it's, it's meta art kind of, it's like art about art discourse. It's art about other prominent art for the most part. You know, I don't, I don't connect with a lot of it like emotionally. Yeah. And, and, and at all. Yeah. Because it's not supposed to do that. Yeah, it, it is supposed to, I guess, connect with you intellectually. But it it's would be the like most... if you watched Tim and Eric and started crying <laughs> instead of laughing. Yes, <laughs> like because you thought it was so beautiful. Which I mean, actually, maybe some people do that. I don't know, but I the don't type think I... of people that do that are morons. But people do I've... do that. I love them, but yeah. I don't think I've ever been moved to tears from the beauty of Adult Swim. No, or like like you know that something that's commenting on the form, right? Or like or. Or the f- or the mediation of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, like I don't know. Again, it's it's partly political. Like there can't really be satire anymore. Yeah. At no, all. The, the political it, world has imploded. It, it well, and and it just extends to every other level. And and now, like I laugh when I see the third Richard Sarah show in two years at Kagoshian because it feels like a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see an Instagram ad or a poster for it or whatever, and you're like, really again? And people the, must be buying it because it, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> but it doesn't feel that doesn't feel real. That's not for me. Yeah, it's not for anybody. So, what could be a better word than handmade? Like, I wanted to, I wanted to ask the same question. What are, like, what are we actually looking for? Because I'm, I'm thinking of the, this kind of more. I guess it could be provincial in its in its worst form, um, but I think in its best form, it's kind of punk because it's it's a community that that's making work for themselves for each other. Yes, um, and that's it. I I only said that because you're you said like this work isn't for me. Right. So I was trying to think of what yeah what ultimately like we're trying to uh we're trying to challenge each other sure in inside the community to the the thing that's hard to define is what that community is Mm -hmm. and the reason like i i would say like punk doesn't exactly work for me although it encapsulates part of the spirit i think of what we're talking about the reason it doesn't work for me is that we're not against anything yeah except for maybe that uh blue chip stuff whatever that echelon is but i don't think i make work that's like about that yeah you know it's not it's not and you know my work itself is not anti-authority as much as i might be you know and i think in the end punk didn't really understand what it was against either it, well and, and like, it got appropriated it yeah. got absorbed yeah. like that you know there's johnny rotten slot machines now yeah it, it, there's no such thing anymore as subcultures yeah and, and it, i think that is kind of what we're talking about right is like whatever this quote unquote handmade or community-based art is is a subculture within the art world and it's and it's a it's a version of that where the of of the subculture blowing up where the the goal is to blow up yeah like uh you like you kind of want your aesthetic or or your you want your like like 
you want your personal vision to become uh universal or yes. or like um i mean not everyone i mean, i guess that's like the i i mean uh, as like the cheapest goal yeah right that's like the uh and sort of the easiest goal if if like that's what you're after like i don't i don't think that's the difficult thing i think no i don't i don't think it's the difficult thing but it is hard to address because you get into really vague territory really fast like if you're going for universality in your work right like i would want my work to be as readable to someone that knows nothing about art as to somebody that knows everything about it Mm -hmm. and then there's there's also a series of purity tests that like you you have that you will ultimately fail yeah exactly Um, uh yeah, I don't know because because the other part of this is like so much of it just has to do with success. Like one day an artist from this subcultural community gets enough Instagram followers or gets representation at a higher up gallery and is all of a sudden part of the big club mm-hmm. and, and is looked all, at as a turncoat now. Yeah, and then know? all of a sudden their vision is uh, is like universal or like or like uh, reality bending. Right. And you're like, well. I don't know. They were my friend like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they seem like I'm like I guess they were their ideas were kind of cool. I didn't realize they were <laughs> changing the world. <laughs> right. Well, the de Kooning quote I always love from Painter's Painting, where he's like, um, "I don't think painters are very smart." Like, was it a good idea for Monet to paint the haystacks? Like, yeah, that sticks with me so much. Like, it doesn't matter. There is no meritocracy, I don't think. Like, success no is not way. a, me- no a measure of intelligence or of, like, somebody's worth, really. No, I would say it's the correlation is more about uh, how easily you can ignore someone else's feelings most of the time. Um, yeah, because you got to play the game. It's a cutthroat yeah. world. Like, yeah, I talk a lot of shit about people like that on here and, you know, in life. But I don't know. If I'm trying to be generous, I kind of feel bad for them. You this, have to you have to leave a lot of people behind. You do, yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I'm just uncomfortable with that. And I don't know if that just makes me a loser. Like, is this the is this the world we're in? And like, I'm not I'm not cut out for it, or what? Or I mean, okay. Or you're just unwilling to leave, to cut people off, or you value your friendships. Like right. that's a that's a good quality. I th- I want to go back to like um, we talked to a, like a couple weeks ago about uh, something Stanley. Uh, Whitney told a friend of ours who is kind of in a like m- like not moral position or like a just like a uh, a trough basically in yeah. in life and was struggling and he said listen the you have to figure out what you want from the studio and that probably won't be similar to what you want from the art world right and that's okay yes and uh, yeah I think it's I guess where, you know, I guess where I really wrestle with that, because I do think that that is really sage advice, um, is like, I, I I didn't think the art world would be this way. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought it would be. But but coming to New York and like going through grad school and like being exposed to basically the elitism of it, like the fact that nine out of ten spots are taken up by um, rich failed children of collectors or galleries and the one spot that's left, like, you know, you get to lose a friend because they ascend and now they're in it. Like, I didn't know that. And I, and I guess I chafe against Stanley's advice a little bit in that I wish that there was an art world that was supportive. And I, and I don't know how to build that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people try with 
small community galleries, but then they kind of get absorbed into the whole infrastructure and they become farm teams for slightly bigger galleries who are farm teams, you know, the AAA team for the major leagues. Yeah. And and it just goes on and on like this. And I wish there was the will like in the street level artistic community to figure out how to coalesce into something else that didn't rely on the old money yeah for exposure yeah you know like like we were talking about art and theory before we got on mic the big textbook i'm sure everybody knows um because i couldn't find what i was looking for in there i was just flipping through it and i ended up finding this statement i think it was from 1977 um and it was i forget the name of the group but i want to say like the artists workers coalition and it was a group of artists and you know community organizers and stuff not necessarily art world people but mostly that organized together and you know wrote a series of open letters and held a bunch of protests at museums because um an artist wanted to remove their work from a show because they didn't feel like it was installed correctly or that it wasn't represent representative of Mm. how they you know wanted to look and the museum wouldn't let them do it so all these artists organized together and wrote this series of demands that appears in art in theory that were basically like um you know the same the same thing you see in like working class politics where they were like look on museum boards uh one third of the representatives should be artists one third of the representatives should be from the community and the other third can be like the typical board of trustees the financial interests they're like how many of these should be women they're like "Mm, none no all right moving on (laughs) (laughs) well that's what the museums were saying at the time but they had this in their list of demands too like equality of representation um, for people in the communities and stuff and it felt like you know, I don't know. I wasn't alive in 1977, but I have this nostalgic vision for something I didn't experience that like, there, you know, the artists that were working at the time weren't willing to put up with this shit. And uh, much like I'm assuming everybody else, like I feel complacent in it and it bothers me. Yeah. You know, I work for a gallery like you, you kind of I've been absorbed into it as much as anybody else. And I don't like that. Yeah. I, I wish I wish we could come together to figure out a way to operate outside of this existing system or to change it somehow. Yeah, I think what we're getting at is like a, a bigger like symptom of capitalism. Yeah. It's just like because there were fewer artists back then. Uh, I, I just feel like it, the the peanuts have gotten so small and the rats have gotten so many that right. it's. I really don't think many people like really care about art. Like even even the artists, I think they just care about like trying to get by because New York is so fucking expensive. Yeah. Because you have these studios in Bushwick that just sit empty. Because uh, these like vanity, like whoever, whatever vanity projects are going on are ready to spend $6 a square foot. Dude, I got a, I got a group text yesterday. There was a thousand dollars for a hundred square feet. Come on. Not kidding. And you only had, uh, yeah, (laughs) up on Broadway and you only had access from nine to six. Come on. (laughs) That's a real thing. That's, that's that's sick that's like that makes me i'm i'm telling you i don't feel well yeah like that's awful uh man yeah i mean uh there's just too uh not enough pieces of pie too many <laughs> too many dummies <laughs> yeah trying to well we've talked about it many times too. thinking it's... that that's the only pie yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah i don't know um this must have been a problem for other people in history too. It, other artists, I mean. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I just don't know enough about. I don't know enough about like artistic politics because that's not what you hear about. Yeah. Or you just, or you have these, just like, you have like uh, these stories of the heyday, 
and uh but the heyday was just white dudes like a handful of white guys making paintings and paying fifteen dollars a month to for like a live workspace in like the east village yeah yeah um like you know, yeah, that's the New York heyday for sure in the 20th century. But you can even go back farther than that. And it's like it's either, um, you know, bourgeois people with money that could afford to paint their entire lives and not work like Toulouse-Lautrec or Manet. All these people were like that. Um, or you get the other like tragic version, which is the Van Gogh thing. Mm-hmm. You're not known in your lifetime and someone finds you after you die. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know why there isn't a middle. There's more artists now <laughs> than ever, and the reason for that is that, like, middle-class people could finally afford to be artists and go to school or not afford it and be in debt for the rest of your life, but... Yeah, I, this is this I kind of blame on academia, because yeah. I think the middle is just being a designer. I'm like, just... That's true. If you just, like, you can make, you can, like, make work, and, like, you can freelance here and there, and I, th- but I think, uh, at least at Tyler, like, we were so... Um, we were so indoctrinated against like against uh comfort and and habit that it's just carried over and it's it's uh it will always be in my head it's just, it's like a like just a natural resistance to um like what appears to be correct or right. or uh like some sort of behavioral uh like middle ground yeah yeah and we were just all like we had yeah stanley whitney donna nelson there frank bramblett um it was it was just like a really intense uh roster of teachers who were uh yeah kind of that anti-authority like like you should be painting towards wrongness yeah and and it's uh it's it's just i think it just became part of the dna right and uh and like resistant to resistant to to like that kind of the gatekeeping that we've been talking about right and yeah you um, know so i I think in that way like the yeah that i think that's how it's political or or that's true the studio is political in that way yeah there's like a fierce individuality behind that right even if you're not Mm -hmm. painting towards wrongness you're trying to not paint towards sameness yeah you analyze your habits yeah like constantly yeah like or or if you're good at something don't do that thing that was a frank bramlett thing like he like, and at the time it made you feel crazy because you're 19 and you're like, you're like, I'm not good at anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but, but again, that's just like a, that's just an, uh, adm- admonition of, of habit. Right. And, uh, how to, how to analyze your own, on your, your own behavior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I've been trying to work on that. I, I've recently got back into the studio after like months and months of not really working and I've been really fixated. It's, this seems like a contradiction as I'm saying it, but I'm really fixated right now on flexibility in the studio. Hell yeah. Cause that's not, that's not my MO really. Like mm-hmm. I, I am kind of a design based painter in the sense that more yeah. or less I have a design that I execute. Yeah. There's like some improvisation in there or elements of it that aren't fully determined but it but more than most painters i would say i have like a pretty prescribed approach by the time i even put a first mark down mm-hmm. um and as much as i'm oh, able would, to i'm trying to figure out how to be flexible on every level the entire time i would say what i know about your practice is that you kind of know what the painting is about before you make it most of the time you know i think it's like a ratio thing mm-hmm. uh, i would say that like i am 75 percent sure that i can make what i want to make 
and then it completes itself in the process. Yeah. I don't think I, I've. I don't think my paintings are very good when I know what it's about going in and then it is about that. I do make those paintings and yeah. like keep them, but they're not the good ones. The good ones are the ones that are completed because I was only kind of sure. Yeah. And that the painting, the process of painting itself actually finishes the artwork. Oh, uh, I, I don't. Dude, if I, if I go in and I'm like, uh, okay, like I have a killer idea for this painting and it's, it's going to fit on the size and the scale it's like dead on arrival. Yeah. Almost like, like within like in an, an hour, I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Right. It, yeah. It's just so dead. Well, you work in like a call and response way too. Your paintings are very intuitive. Well, yeah. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to blow up. I, I have a show coming up and I'm like keeping my cards close to my chest a little bit. Um, I, I kind of, I've like messed with my program a little bit. Um, I've traveled, I traveled a lot this year and I'm, yeah. I'm pulling from that. Um, for these last last like this last set of paintings so um they are kind of they're more real and right. they're more and th- th- maybe they're a little more strict but with then within that um like within like the the like the uh guidelines of like experience or like because they're not improvised necessarily uh there's like a play that happens inside of the structures yes if that makes sense it definitely makes sense i mean that that's what my whole practice has always been kind of structured on is like i always thought about it as parentheses around a statement yeah. or punctuation so we're or closing something. our gap a little bit yeah 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 i, I decided to jettison like the fantasy stuff for right. now because i, I, I want to get closer to like a well ironically that the way you made it sound when we talked about this alone was that that started to become too strict Weirdly enough, yeah, the most imaginary yeah. part of the painting exactly. became the parameters that you felt stuck to or yeah. something. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. That you nailed it. Because if you start being if if you start being recognized for something, that that to me is a that's a fear zone that well, I want to like sidestep. God, and and all creative individuals that experience any amount of success, I think, like come up against this where they say like the thing that you used to love to do now becomes your job. I. I I'm guessing that that's kind of true of the, let's call it the imaginary aspect of your work um, or the fantasy stuff. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Like now you're forced to continue that story when maybe you don't want to, or you have an idea for a painting that doesn't fit your pre-existing narrative or your iconic style. And therefore you quote, can't make it like that's a, that's a really shitty position to be in. Yeah. And I'm, and so I'm, I'm just like, well, well, I'm not going to do it. And I'm lucky enough to be working with a gallery that, uh, for the last couple of years that there's, there's such a trust there that yeah. they're like, they're like, dude, do like, you know, make your work. We'll, we'll come check out, check it out. And we support you. <laughs> so right. it's, it's, a, it's a very lucky situation. Um, can I say one of the rules that you told me off mic about yeah. your practice yeah, right yeah. now? I don't want to blow you up, but, uh, you're not even taking pictures of your work at all, nope. even for yourself, which I find fascinating. I will. T- I don't I'll, know very many people that do that. I don't know anybody that does. That. I'll like send pictures to friends in the studio. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry. You haven't gotten one. No, but that's like, okay. <laughs> um, if, like a kind of check in, be like, eh, yeah. I don't know about this color or something like that. Like really formal stuff, right? Um, but immediately delete, right? I like I've yeah. It, it's helped. It's helped um, the psychological process of like not spinning out 
when you get home and when you're awake, yes. like when you're out of the studio, like for this, this like stretch, when I was out of the studio, I wanted to be gone right? and, and not even allow myself back in, even by looking at little pictures of them. So I was just like, nope, no more, no pictures for the next four months. That's, that's really good. I mean, it, that weighs on me a lot. When I take pictures of paintings in process and then I come crazy, home, right? I just keep looking at them yeah. over and over. And it's worse because you can't do anything about it at that point. Yeah, what are you, you going to do? Exactly. You start over-determining things and then I think you go back and make mistakes. At least I do a lot because now I'm afraid because I've been anxiously spinning out for 12 hours or whatever. And you get up the next morning and go to your studio and do something brash yeah. because of the picture you took, not because of what the painting is. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean by trying to keep flexibility in mind. Walk in the next day and, like, the painting is what it is right now. And you're going to respond to this thing, yeah. not a notion. What's that dumb fucking Christian ad- uh, uh, adage? Like, may God grant me the uh, strength to change what I can, <laughs> the bravery to to accept what I can't. And the wisdom to know the difference. Yes, that's it. You nailed it. (laughs) I mean, it's true, I guess. Yeah, those things end up... Like, why is God responsible for that? Like, you can make changes in your life to, like, deal with with control issues. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. um, Yeah, the the process changes have led to very real work changes, which I, like... It's 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 cool to see the the experiment has like the high hypo- there's a hypothesis then like a controlled experiment yeah and then like an outcome and it it it's worked in a lot of ways that were surprising and I think changed a lot of stuff for the better yeah yeah um, sorry I feel like, I also feel like I kind of like uh, pulled that conversation more towards my work no 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 that's yours. been good uh, I um. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that much to... Because ba- you said you're back in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I'm back in the studio. I, I don't know. I mentioned it on here briefly, but, like, I've been thinking about the flexibility thing um, and, and just been, I don't know, I don't, trying to take the pressure off. I feel like that's a compartment within flexibility, but, like, I'm just trying not to worry about it. Like, I had an impulse to make a certain painting with a certain image that I never would have picked before, and then as I've been working on it, I was like, well, the reason that I picked this is because this is this has the qualities of all my other paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want to spoil it because I eventually will yeah. like post the painting or whatever. <laughs> it's it's but it's it's hard to talk about in this format. But like y- you know, just letting myself work and think about it as I go, which I've kind of always done. Mm-hmm. But I guess the anxiety I was having before I took the break from the studio was that my work was just evolving into pastiche, which I hate and is always a danger for me. Because I appropriate things. Mm. Um, I have a certain like stylistic bag of tricks or techniques that I like stay within. Yeah. And when that gets too much about just reco- recombination and there's not enough uh, real intuition or on the other hand, like thinking about it, mm-hmm. it's just sort of clever, like novelty. Yeah. That's, if you get that's this, a bummer. Yeah. If there's no room to react because well or there's i think in my case it's like there's too much room to react and then you've just kind of made a meaningless collage of five or six things and sure you can make yeah. meaning out of a collage of any five or six things but i don't i think the parameters of a painting practice are the most important part because they guide the viewer towards some kind of meaning mm-hmm. and again back to the universality issue like i've always thought about that like i don't think i think a really good painting doesn't have isn't very subjective actually 
I don't uh, think yeah, I don't think that viewers' experiences of like uh, great works of art are that different. Like there's there might they might be internalized differently or yeah. like analyzed differently, but the hit that you get from a painting, I I would hope is kind of the same thing. Yeah, for everyone. Yeah, I think what I think what you're talking about is like the echo is different than once it like once it like once that hit enters the the field of of consciousness then it like it reverberates different for everybody but the yeah, imi- totally. but the original perception is principally pretty pretty similar it, it should be pretty consistent and the the reason that it's experienced differently is just because paintings aren't language they're not words yeah i would agree with you for the most part except for that i've taught um a drawing for non-majors class and that's when i'm like how do you see the world when you're trying to teach uh, a scientist how to draw or or just how to use a material to try to represent something because yeah. drawing like drawing is anyone can draw like right. i really think there's no such thing as a fail as a drawing is a, is a failure drawing for me is never a failure there's no such thing it's it's too direct and it's too pure right um so what you're essentially trying to teach drawing for non-majors is why things are interesting yes yeah and when you're just trying to teach them how to draw a stack of cardboard boxes like line only uh dude the results are bonkers and that's when i'm like we see the world in completely different ways like the like our like lenses of like our apertures are different sure are like our perspective um actual linear perspective not like world like emotional perspective right right like actual physical perspective is completely out of whack um and that's yeah i mean it's hack because it's like a stoner thing but when you can get into the territory of like when i see red do you actually see green like what do we mean it is hack and that's that's the first conversation you have when you're stoned ever well but I don't know. I'm sympathetic to it, but at the same time, like just for, just for a lot of other reasons, I have to believe that that's not true. Like I kind of disagree with you in a sense. Like I, I, I didn't teach drawing, but I, you know, I taught undergrads too and had a similar experience, especially with non-majors. Yeah. But I really, I have to just chalk it up to like seeing the world psychologically differently. Like I'm a materialist, you know, I, yeah. I do believe that like we're sitting at the same table or not seeing it differently. Yeah or well okay so if here so then it's the how do you choose to present something that you're seeing yeah like yeah if, like if, if you have to recreate it or if, like if then 10 people had to draw starry night in person right that are not artists like you're gonna get 10 wacko things um or even if artists are involved you're gonna get 10 different things definitely um so then it's then it's a mutation of of reality yeah and uh, well, and I think viewership of art is the same way. Like I wouldn't deny that it, you know, from the reverse. Like I wouldn't yeah. deny that it, that a viewer's um, experience is a mutation of a certain like object. But you are looking at the same painting. It is the same color for everyone. You know. Yeah. Scientifically. Um, <laughs> if, you know, I don't. If even... I know anything about Chris, it's he loves to hold his finger to the sky yeah. and say, "Scientifically, scientifically, <laughs> it's the children that are wrong." <laughs> Am I so out of touch? (laughs) No. Um, Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. That's an interesting point. I've softened on that kind of a lot over the last couple of years. Like, I don't think it's scientifically. Uh, My my faith in science hasn't 
hasn't been shaken in any real way, but I do feel a lot more, I don't know. I feel a lot more open to energies or like vibes and kind of describing things that way. Yeah. You have softened. I know you will. And yeah, it, it, it feels, um, that feels more appropriate in, I don't know, just speaking for myself in some ways that feels like maturity. Like, um, yeah. There was a thing in Peter Sheldahl's recent article, the the art of dying thing. Did mm-hmm. you read that at, at all? If you didn't, it's okay. I didn't. Read we it. talked about it on here, so the, yeah. hopefully the people listening will know. But there was a uh, line in it because uh, the way it's structured is just kind of a series of fragmentary thoughts. It's not really an essay, mm-hmm. um, and one of the fragments was about atheism, and he says something to the effect of like, um, "Atheism is great for like a spry young mind." Um, but as you you know, as you get older, you soften and you don't have that rigidity anymore. He puts it so much more beautifully. I like, totally butchered it. Yeah. But the, but that's been sticking with me a lot. I've been experiencing that since before that article for the last couple of years. That yeah, like there's no real reason to be like militaristic or like overly determined really about anything, mm-hmm. up to and including like you know your philosophy of the world. Yeah. Meaning in my case, like be being more or less a materialist that like i believe there is an objective reality outside of us that we all share yeah um yeah i I can't i kind of can't operate from any place other than that but i'm uh softly certain that that's true yeah yeah or that what what do you mean by like that there's a like a there's consciousness is like a substance that we can like access. I think consciousness is secondary to the world. Like I think your, your mind is made of stuff. Mm -hmm. There is no separate consciousness that can affect anything. Yeah. You are, you are a series of firing neurons and like me from three years ago would say like, that's all that you are in kind of like a nihilistic way that there is no way you can affect change you can't do anything about that. You're basically like a robot programmed from on high. I think we've are actually yeah. already about this. You know, <laughs> you're also made of elements. And- <laughs> well, you know, but but uh, and I think I still believe that, but it doesn't matter. It yeah. is that's the kind of corner that I've turned. Is like even if that is true, which I think it is, um, that's not how that's not how you experience. That's not how you experience your relationships with other people. Yeah. That's not how you change anything politically that's not how you make art because isn't the isn't the beauty of life that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts yeah yeah exactly and that like the the deeper or the richer the whole becomes a w-h-o-l-e the richer that tapestry becomes like the more mysterious life gets yes and i I feel like like lean like leaning into that is like so fun and like weird and like and like the, we were talking about ghosts the other night, like right. the, like just like letting that, like letting that be uh, a, a potential, like raw potential is just so f- it's so fun. Yeah, well, and it opens up that territory that your teachers told you about for wrongness or yeah. anti sameness or bad ideas yeah. or whatever. Like I, I want to be as open as possible. It's a complex freedom. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I don't know. I have too much uh, sunk cost. <laughs> in the idea that we share something like, I, and it's politically important for me too, or philosophically important. Like I, I'm mostly resistant to the idea that you, your mind is the be all end all, because then you can't change anything but yourself. And I don't want to believe that that's true. 
Mm-hmm. Like I think t- togetherness is important. Having conversations on here is important. It matters. Yeah. You know, and that, and that wouldn't matter if only my mind was the operable thing in the universe. Yeah. yeah. Dude, if I, if I didn't think that mattered to you, I wouldn't meet up with you once a week for eight years to just, but I talk. But, but I do feel uh, <laughs> some apology to all my friends that did tolerate me for seven <laughs> years before that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and it, and it's it's become increasingly hard too to like talk about to talk about art for me. It's become such so much more of a felt thing, mm-hmm. um, in a way that I can't wrap words around. Um, that feels better. Yeah, I, I mean, f- for a little while outside of school, it was a drag. But now, I mean, we've been out of school for ten years. Yeah, um, and I and I just like I feel like just now, like my like my my internal like gyroscope or whatever is like settling into like a position where of confidence. Yeah, and, like and or or. Uh, like mean what I feel is meaningfulness for the world. Like where I, I think what I can provide is like, is like kind of meaningful and, and like even just now, like, st- like studio visits have not like have become like, like way more productive or like I went to Phil's studio and it was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, because if you can, if you can find like your, your balance, uh, with your own life or, and perspective, like, and if that can accept other people's perspectives, it's just, it's just like so, yeah, it's so much more um, rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, studio visits are a tough one because I think people still have a weird idea of how to go into those. I don't mean you or I, but like... Because mm-hmm. uh, I think people's, a, a lot of time people are fresh out of school and yeah. still academic. Or even people that and aren't are, are too prescriptive or... or some yeah, some overly people. determined by something. Yeah, or or want to, want a critique, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to give that to you. Right. Like it's going to be a conversation. Yeah, like um, uh, like your work may come up. Like I'm not going to sit down in front of your work and be like, this is what I think. Blah blah blah. Like if I like if I come to your studio, it's 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 just like a, it's, I want to hang out with you right. and like learn about you, and then and then see your work like around you. Yeah. I'm not like I, there's no way I can stare at your work and think that I understand it. If I've never talked to you ever. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Or, you know, you might have a read on it. You might, you you might understand something, but the the number one thing that makes me like somebody's art is the person. I can be turned around almost instantly. If I end up liking an artist, I'll like their work. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. As I said that, I'm like sort of second guessing myself. I don't know how I feel about that. No, I I apologized to Phil at the end of like, or not at the end, like halfway through the because I said some I forget what I said, but I said something at the beginning of the visit that like, kind of like, um, basically shoved him into like an aesthetic conversation, and then I felt badly because then the conversation was like him. I didn't want him to feel like he was trying to like dig himself out of that pigeonhole. Right. And I was like, Jesus. And the more we talked, I was like, Holy shit. This like, this world is huge. This thing that you're after. And it's, it's really not that it's not aesthetic based. It's like, it's really nuanced. Yeah. So I, I eventually I was like, I'm sorry. I said that at the beginning that I basically knocked us off the tracks so hard. Yeah. Because yeah. Of, because my initial read was so wrong. Right. Well, um, so yeah. I, th- so maybe I learned from that and I was like, I'm, 
I'm not going to do that anymore. I just want to go and talk. That's good. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good habit to just, um, especially if it's an artist of our age or older, it's not even really an age thing. I think you can just feel out somebody's like level of confidence, but just trust that they know what they're doing as far as form, like almost never address the form. Uh, uh, it's always condescending. Even yeah. if it's an accident, it's always condescending to sort of dig in on that. Just trust that the person knows what they're doing or is doing it on purpose. Or or at least give them that the benefit of that doubt, even if you know they aren't or yeah. don't think they are. Yeah. Um go for go for just content. Go for the biggest, you know. The cosmic stuff yeah. is the interesting stuff about art. I the worst I'm not gonna name names, but the worst um studio visit I ever had was I was making bigger paintings at the time and this person suggested what if you just painted a giant black X through each of these paintings? <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, I think this is over. Yeah. Can what? I <laughs> I was like, I try hard. Like yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> like I th- like yeah, I can What if you just gessoed over all of <laughs> yeah, them? But, yeah, yeah. And started you them again. Started over, you dumb shit. <laughs> Like I was like I I work really hard on these yeah. like <laughs> like I made a lot of decisions. <laughs> no, you didn't. What if you got a giant rubber stamp that said canceled? Yeah, and laid them all on the floor. Hey, why don't you walk out of this room right now? Go get a job at fucking McDonald's because <laughs> you don't clearly don't know what you're doing here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Actually, man. no, I couldn't even get a job at McDonald's. It's too complicated. I would be so bad. Mm, yeah, well, I would need a. No, actually, I'm not qualified for anything at this point. <laughs> it's been too long. Yeah, you've been out of the workforce. <laughs> Besides Odelia. Yeah. yeah. Also painting. Just, yeah. Yeah, the worst vi- studio visit I ever had was with Chris Martin. I'll never forget Name it him. either. Name him. I'm naming him. Name it's, him. Because it, it's, it's ins- sucks. Yeah, you told me. It's insulting. And, and, and I feel crazy about it because he has such a reputation for being, oh, such a nice, chill guy. He and he was no, I, incredibly rude to me. Yeah. He basically did you know, what we were just joking about. He yeah. said, I have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're doing. What if we take one of these paintings outside? He's not a nice guy. He's just another white power broker. Yeah. It's, it, it's true. It fucking sucks. Yeah. And the work sucks. Oops. Well, <laughs> well, and the weird thing is, is I don't hate all of his paintings. Like, I see some of Chris Martin's paintings, and I do like them, but I don't like him. Yeah. Uh, the, I, and it's I, hard to separate the two. Yeah, it is. And I almost can't think of another example of that. You know, I don't know. Actually, that's not true. It, it's always hard to work with uh, hyper-successful artists. Yeah. Just like a celebrity or something. They've and been, to take in, their, they've been uh, like, insulated To from take their anything. advice with any kind of value that yeah. might be helpful, it's like... I don't know. You're just trying to tell me how to be famous or I don't know. Well, they're, you know, they're cloistered. I'm sure some of their advice is useful if you want to be like them, but I don't, I guess. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'd like to make a living at some point. <laughs> that's like, I feel like that's pretty, like pretty honest. Uh, yeah. Goal. It's, it's too bad that that's too much to ask now. Yeah. That's you know? insane. Yeah. That's like that. We, yeah, like art is like. I mean, how many times do you see like uh, reality shows where where these like like rich d holes, uh, you see their interior of the house and there's no art anywhere. No, or it's just like the printout style art, like G clay prints like on post- canvas, still with like movie, still movie posters, yeah. like like uh, yeah, Vanderpump Rules or London Girls or whatever that's called. Like, there's like no no art anywhere. It's crazy. No, I know. I mean, um. 
you know, I was just in Ohio for the holiday and I'm in a lot of suburban houses that are like this. Yeah. They have no unique objects in the entire house. Yeah. And then I come back to here that is covered in them and I take it for granted so much. I mean, I don't look at these paintings or whatever on a daily basis, but yeah, they do give off like a sort of like sustenance or something that you can't get from and mass production. If you have a big ass house, you know what makes them feel bigger? Pictures. Yeah. It paintings are space. Yes. It's if you have white fucking walls that they are right there, a painting will gives you deep space. Right. No matter what it's of because color is space. Right. So just put shit on your walls and your 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 big fucking house will feel even bigger. Yeah, it'll have more windows and mirrors. It, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane to me that that's it's not more like in the public pure purview to like support art. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I th- a lot of that might have to do, you know, this is back to the conversation of how does a small subculture within the art world, like compete or um, not compete, but define its own thing, like selling art for lower cost. Like um, there's a Brad Trammell post about this that I liked a lot where, you know, he does the meme thing where he shows like the 10 years ago version of himself. And it's like the virgin blah, 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 that thought, you should charge $10,000 for your art because it's so rare and so worth it. And then the Chad, like new guy that's like, no, I just want anybody that can have this to have, to have it for low cost. Like I, all I'm trying to say is that I think part of this problem is, and I know I'm guilty of this is that, you know what? My art's probably not worth $2,000. If somebody appreciates it and they want it, pay me whatever you can pay me and just have it because otherwise it's languishing in storage exactly it's it's so much more useful to be out in the world yeah or not even valuable and i don't mean monetarily just valuable in terms of just like the richness of reality yeah (laughs) yeah. just improving the world uh and what the world looks like yeah um yeah no there's there's no way like my labor costs are you know worth that but but you it's a it's a it's like a cost analysis also based on what you're spending because essentially we have a second job that costs money that's right yeah um which is no i'm not even you know i kind of do think that painting you know painting should be worth low thousands of dollars i mean they do take hours they do cost a lot of money to make but like for sure. If it's not realistic, it's not realistic. And it, it is better to just have something be lived with, even if it costs you. Yeah. You know, even if it costs you something. Chapter 3 <laughs> Soften. Uh, is that cereal? Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? how did that go again? <laughs> they haven't done a new season of cereal in a while, have they? I don't know. Did they do a th- no, they did a third one. It was about Cleveland. Is it, I, it actually yeah. was good. It was way better than the second one. Cool. The, did you listen to that one? That was the, like no. the, the desserty from I, the army. I've been I've been having trouble with podcasts. It was like time stuff or like I. I can only listen to them like while I'm cooking or cleaning now. Yeah, I you can't. don't listen to podcasts in the studio, I which can't. that would be the only time. That's the only time I have anymore. Unless, yeah, unless I'm prepping. But then it's just like comedy. It's just like dumb shit. Your Kickstarter sucks is very good. Mm. It's, 
it's I've never just, heard it. It's just two guys from Nashville and like uh, looking up random Kickstarter <laughs> campaigns that are completely insane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, bye. Plugging for <laughs> what your Kickstarter sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I, it's kind of abrupt, but whatever. Do you want to try to talk about Uncut Gems? Because I want to talk about it with you. Okay. I'm, I'm curious. What, I'm curious what your thoughts are because uh, we went and saw Uncut Gems together. When was that? A few days ago. Yeah. Three, four days ago yeah. with a big group of people. And I thought the movie was great, although like insane. Yeah. It, it was a hard movie to watch at the same time that I that I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what it was about. I had, I knew Sam. Well, did you know it was Sandler like about a diamond it. dealer or betting or anything? I I could make a guess. Yeah. Um. I had heard about it on some podcasts. I had, I knew people were excited because Sandler was like actually acting instead. Of, yeah. Instead of making his own movie or whatever. Um. I knew very little about it as well. Like, and I, then the I'd hype machine the started rolling, and everyone was like, "You got to see this movie." And then uh, a per- <laughs> there was somebody on on uh, I saw an Instagram story that was like. Hey, uh, Uncut Gems was super boring. Whoa. And that was before we went out. Yeah. Like maybe the day before. And Th- that's a, hold on a second. That's an impossible thing to say. Well, here's the thing. Afterwards, I felt compelled to message her and I was like, I was like, Hey, uh, I'm on your side. I was, wow. I was bored. Yeah. I, I, again, We've been over this. Uh, fundamentally, it is a good movie. Like yeah. I understand that it is like airtight in some ways, but that being said, I was still waiting for stuff to happen. Like through, like through, I was like, I, I maybe like halfway through the movie, I was like, I still don't know what this movie is about yet. Yeah, that I felt for sure. But I guess other than like a rock floating around the eastern seaboard, which I guess maybe it's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, it's like that gem. Yeah, I don't think it had. I think that's part of what I liked about the movie is that I don't think it had much of a message. It no wasn't way. politicking in any way. It was yeah. just a character study. And I and I think maybe the, the, the problem I have with, with describing it as boring is I just can't imagine that because there is so much stuff happening, but it doesn't have a point. Well, I think for me, like when, because pe- these, these young, I looked up the directors and they're our age. Yeah, they're young. And it that's why and again I like right after the movie I was like this reminds me of Drive it reminds me yeah. of something that's like so of our time and will be cemented in our time which is cool I think it'll probably age really well yeah I would like to watch it in ten years and be like holy shit that was crazy interesting yeah um, but right now I was like it feels like a young man's movie definitely is um, again a character study I my weirdly my favorite part of it is that. It's basically analysis of the Celtics Sixers uh, NBA playoff series. Right. It basically it basically retroactively attributes magic to because Kevin Durant's they were like, performance. Hey, yeah, they were like, hey, why did why did, was Kevin Garnett like so Garnett, good in yeah. the first two games, terrible in the third game, and magically like good in the fourth game when they needed to win? Right. They, like <laughs> they could be like, what if he had like a gem? You're so right about that. It didn't even magic. It's like almost a Tarantino Inglorious Bastards like alternate history. That I liked. That I liked about it, and that's when I was like spinning out and be like, "Oh, this is really cool." Like I and like the furry. Like I like the like the way it was embedded in a very weird time. Who would know what 2012 was about? Right. Well, and I felt like it was an interesting movie because I don't think I'd ever seen a movie before that was like uh, 50 percent 
African-American and 50% Jewish. Like, those yeah. were the two cultures that were clashing in the movie the entire time. Again, another one of my takeaways was that it didn't allow itself to analyze the stereotypes of either of those. No, it didn't. Uh, races or ethnic groups. Like, I'm like, okay, Jews are crazy about money and black people are loose cannons. Right. So I was like, wait, at one point, are we going to like flip this on its head? And it just didn't. So I was like, oh. Yeah, it kind of didn't, but I but I don't know. I think I think it's anchored so much by the performances of Adam Sandler was, yeah, and Kevin I, Garnett. Kevin Garnett was great. Holy shit. Uh and, and Julia Fox. I mean, like the thing is if you don't buy those performances, I could see the movie just completely not working for you. Yeah. But I was, no, I was so into Adam Sandler in that role that he felt like the character. He didn't feel like AS. Weirdly, know? yeah, okay. Weirdly, he was the one I cared the least about. What was the other dude's name? Demony, the guy from Damani. Damani. Yeah, yeah. Also amazing. Yeah, he was like great the too. performances were there. Like, but weirdly, Howie had or QE or Howie? Howie, Howie yeah. Howie, yeah. Howie, I, I didn't care about. I, and I also came fresh off Joker. <laughs> right, right. And I was like, I cared more about Arthur. <laughs> yeah, like, well, but the thing is, you know what? Because he was plagued by something. Howie was in, an indulgent fuck. Right. Uh, you like, know, but like, I. Oh, man, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. I think I liked. Th- the character of Howie Moore only because, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Joker is amazing and that movie's good, but it's a manipulative movie. Mm-hmm. It's a little, that, yeah, it's true. a little more like lowbrow in my opinion in that way, or like lowest common denominator where like all the signifiers are so strong that you should feel bad for Arthur Fleck that you do. I think it had less to work with in terms of like, it, it's like if you make a superhero movie, for sure, it has to be symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would, I would grant that, it's constrained by that format yeah. like entirely. It's not a fair comparison is what I mean. But, but, but I'm only, I only bring it up because I saw them almost back to back. Yeah. No, no. And I, th- I think it's actually an interesting comparison because they're the only two movies lately that are just like legitimate character studies of like two men that are crazy. But weirdly, there was so much breathing room in Joker and yeah. in Uncapped Gems, there was none. And I understand that that's their thing yeah. to create this like anxious ridden thing. Right. Or this like... Maybe that's the gem that's like this compressed piece of like n- this nugget of uh like uh rock that was like impossible to like see like see any sort of space or distance, yeah, I think so that was the operative metaphor like um literally it's it comprises everything and has a million facets, yeah. but it's all coming at you at once there's no again there's no point that that's maybe a way that that's maybe a, a way in which the movie could disconnect from a viewers like it's nihilistic kind of especially yeah. in the way that it ends where joker joker is not i think yeah i think joker is weirdly optimistic yeah it is because yeah. It, and it it wouldn't have, i thought it was gonna be about something else but the eat the rich thing for me was like what made it i think Uncut Gems, i just i don't i still don't quite know what it was about and I think, and maybe that's a strength ultimately, or what might kind of send it into the future with this, some weird message that, yeah, we, that's... that we don't understand yet. Right. Um, I, maybe I, I should see it again. Cause also this person I was talking to, where I was like, I'm on your side is boring. She was like, I feel like I should see it again. And I was like, uh, 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 yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately like retracting. Cause I'm such a coward. Again, it's not but... a fair comparison and it's like too soon to st- 
to say, but I do think the open-endedness of Uncut Gems is what I liked about it so much. Like, it's lingering with me over these last three or four days, and I guess Joker did to a certain extent too, but now it's months later, and until we talked about it the other night, I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. But something can't really be open-ended and airtight simultaneously. Well, I think it can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of back to our painting conversation. Like, I think that's what makes a good painting or a good work of art in general is something that's airtight on a technical level. Like, you can't fault it for making mistakes. Everything has has intention. It has a modern sensibility, but it's also wabi-sabi. Yes, yes. Can that happen? I think that's I think that's what makes something great. Yeah. Is that that's I feel like what you're describing is a masterpiece. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I want to come down for uncut gems like on that (laughs) level. But like, I I do think that's what makes it a great work of art. I think I think that's an interesting distinction. Like, I don't know what makes a masterpiece over that. But, you know, I mean, the music is insane. It was I would listen to music separately. I loved I the score, but it was the most incongruous thing about the movie. I didn't feel like it, I didn't feel like it belonged. I feel there. like if, if it had any other music, it wouldn't be a film, right? I th- I th- it would just be like this movie that you're watching. If it was more conventionally scored, it yeah. wouldn't work at all. I listened to that dude's other music today. Oh, really? Daniel Lip- Lipiton or Lipiton? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Lipiton. Um, yeah, he's just like worked with other like they're like he's like a noise artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they gave him the score. It was it was interesting, um, but I guess I I also understood I understood what they were going after with that too, like this like this like multifaceted universe that this gem provides. Like yeah. it's it's cause it's so it's so um, there's more colors than than our world can can, can provide. So it's cosmic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the it, movie starts with the gem and then goes into his asshole yeah. and ends by going through his head and out with the gem. That, yeah, like, that it, is, it is like really bracketed with those those images in a nice way. Like, with him. With him. Specifically. His Be, body well, and the, just tied the, to the cosmos. The chaos of the character that's like addicted to gambling, addicted to money, kind and of like negligent. Moving, moving through the city in so many different yes. kinds of ways. He's almost like attached to New York in more ways than anyone should be. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the very trite thing of saying like New York is very much a character. It's yeah. it is in that movie. It sort of lives say, through Adam Sandler though. I would say and, New York is the beast that he is involved with in every capacity. Right, right. like he has a family yes. in where, where is he said he's from? Is like uh, he's like out in Long Island Long or upstate Island. or something. He has a girlfriend in the city, right. in an apartment. He he's going to pawn shops. He's pawn going shops. to an he's auction house. To he's going to basketball. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So in, the, you know what, <laughs> it's a good movie. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going up. I'm well, like, that's good. Well, that's I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you or anything. But I that's know. why I wanted to talk it out is because I because it's it's a movie that is um, abrasive. Me, you know, like it's yeah, not it's, easy to watch. The first, I would say, the first 15 minutes are a cacophony of insanity. I was worried about the movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes. I was like, I, this is intolerable. Almost. I thought the I whole kind thing of want to leave. That. Yeah. And then it almost was, you know, there's, there's some brevity, but like, um, yeah, I, I was worried at first and I, that's kind of when I had my head in my hands. I was like, if, if it's this, I'm not interested. Right. But it, but then it, it's also, it is kind of about that. It's about like this dude, juggling he's and he sandler's good at juggling almost every conversation that's happening like he's involved like he's he's kind of 
everything that's going on, you can kind of realize that he's not, it's not that he's not listening. Right. He's, he's managing his employees. He's talking to Garnett. Like, well, you're making uh, me realize that the first scene in the movie is kind of brilliant because that cacophony that's happening in his diamond shop where it's almost his whole life. Every character with the exception of his family, I guess is in that scene. And you don't really know how important they're going to be until that like web that you're introduced into that cacophony of people screaming over each other is like untangled over the course of the movie yeah, and kind of comes back together at the end, but in a completely different way. And like then, I had no sense, for example, yeah. that Julia Fox, his girlfriend was even his girlfriend or would be important. Yeah. Who, and she ended up being my favorite character. Yeah. She, and she was like, the, by far run away. Um, and what a great arc for her too. Like she yeah. starts out completely unlikable. Yeah. And you kind of blame her. For yes. This, and and you're like, oh, wait, uh, that's an assumption. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. uh, you realize he's a piece of shit. And you realize what addiction does to your family when you clearly, like, value one thing over the other. Like, he, he like his family to him is an obligation. Absolutely. Um, that, that, and that's why his wife fucking hates him. Yes. And that's, and in the, in the moment I was on her side, I was like, yeah. I hate looking at his face. I'm sick of his dumb glasses. Like there was like, I was like agreeing with her. Like that's, that's you're referring to the scene where she finally like calls him on all of his bullshit where he's apologizing to her and like trying to get their marriage back together. And she, just calls him annoying and says like I n- don't even like looking at you. Yeah, every time I see you, I it, I'm so glad that that scene was in the movie because it, it's she's the only competent character, <laughs> and that's the only time that you get that sort of yeah. relief of like somebody. Hey, knows Julie what's did a really on. good job at the end. No, she she came through. Like, she did, but like when he needed her to, unfortunately, he fucked up. But yeah, but again, it's just this. She's. She's competent with executing the plan, but she has no real like moral agency. I don't think I don't think that she like she doesn't well, really She loves him. Yeah. Or, is this going to come with a spoiler alert? Uh we already kind of blew that, but no, we, I can, mean, like, we can say should, it now. You should probably insert okay, it. Okay, I'll because, insert one. No, we've blown by that. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> um yeah, I th- I, I but yeah, I sh- I believe that she loves him like I, th- I thought that was yeah, but that like that's good. sort of a fault of hers. I think, like if you really think that it, because Adam Sandler is a complete fuck up. Like I, I guess that's just what happens in love is that you yeah. forgive people's faults or whatever. Yeah, um, he's probably more himself. But also, than he is you know, I don't know like, the way the way she's played as a character. Like she's a young lady. Like she'll get over it. Does she really love him? I don't know. It seems like a mistake in her life. Not yeah, or or not is something she enduring. actually playing him? Or like, you don't know. She could be. I don't think so. But. I would say, like, if if she's playing him, then her acting ability as a not a, not as an actor, as a character, yeah. for her to be like, I wish I could kiss you right now, like that that moment was beautiful, right? No, I guess no, I don't. I don't think she was playing him or anything. I guess what I mean is just that I don't. I don't buy it. You have no reason to love this guy. Mm-hmm. You're just you're just young and kind of dumb. Like that's fine. Yeah. It, it, it's it's fitting and it's realistic um but the but again the like the only character that can sort of see the bigger picture is his wife so her competency is really just her ability to be like i hate you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because no one else in the movie says that and they should all be saying it to each other all the time yeah hey maybe that's maybe that's why in that moment i was like finally fucking somebody's saying it <laughs> yeah. i hate this dude yeah um 
Yeah. Like the relief of all, all of Adam Sandler's problems in the movie would have been alleviated in the first place if he just let Kevin Garnett keep the gem. Like nothing keeps going after that. Or if he took the money he offered him in the first place. Right. Because like, ultimately, yeah, he ugh, ends up buying for it's it. It's so fucking frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. fucking frustrating. But it's, it's, yeah, but it's brilliant. Like he, that cycle that he has to go through to end up in exactly the same place, but then dead. Yeah. I guess it, yeah, it is just. It's a nice summary of a, a life. It's a life in short. You yeah. Know? It's a and it's a sequence of events that are all taught. I think that's yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, like like the the tension in the basketball scene at the end. You're watching like a real basketball yeah. game. Even at the auction. And at the really auction, like, I thought that was great too. Yeah, yeah the, was great. the scenes the scenes that are supposed to um build up that anxiety in you work. Yeah. And then the I don't know, the cacophony or the violence is well placed. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. To, like, explode that pressure. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's that. That's I love that. when Howie uh, stabs the dude in the f- eye with the scissors. Oh, wait, that was Joker. <laughs> <laughs> again, I saw them back to back. Okay, I think I think we should stop because we're at an hour and a half. That's approaching people not listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> people have turned it off. That's a long one. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. This was fun, man. Thanks for having me over. Thank you for co-hosting. Of course. All right, next time. Bye.